Welcome back, everybody, to the Self Storage Income Podcast. We have another incredible episode lined up for you today. But before we get into that, huge shout out to all of our amazing sponsors Janice International, Store Local, Live Oak Bank, and Tenant Inc. Be sure to check out the links in the show notes. You guys probably hear us talking about these guys on the podcast all the time. Janice International, tons of amazing people, tons of amazing products, services, their Noki service, their R3 program, all these different aspects to help you build an amazing storage facility or upgrade your storage facility. Uh, just a fantastic group. Store local. It's honestly one of the biggest threats to self-storage is, is market consolidation and everything that goes along with that. So enter store local the largest uh, storage co-op in the world just amazing people again tons of tons of awesome people there and uh, amazing solutions to bring everybody's resources together and uh, utilize those in an effective way to be able to compete and also uh, thrive in a world of competition uh, with some of these larger REITs and the big players in the self-storage industry. Check out Store Local. Amazing, amazing opportunities there. Live Oak Bank. Um, I don't know how many of you guys came to our live event in Coeur d'Alene just this past year, but uh, we had some amazing conversations with Live Oak Bank there, and they were probably one of the most popular uh, <laughs> topics there in our, our breakout sessions. And and people want to know. They, they want to know the financing. You guys want to know what the solutions are, what the deals look like, all these different aspects to find. Financing. Live Oak Bank is that answer specifically for self-storage. They specialize in storage, which is just incredible. There's no learning curve for them to understand the asset. They know it. They've been there before, and they can help you see things that you might not even be seeing yourself. So Live Oak Bank, amazing. Check the link in the show notes. And last but not least, Tenant Inc. Tenant Inc. is an incredible slew of, uh, of products and services, essentially, for your storage facility to help automate, to help streamline, to help optimize your business and your storage facility. They've got uh, their Hummingbird platform, Nectar platform, uh, their Mariposa platform. Uh, I mean, just to, just to scrape the surface here, their, their property software, the big thing about this is the API is open. So you guys can actually, you, you own your data, you can use other third parties and back that into your systems. It's not this closed system that only uses proprietary X, Y, and Z. You guys have total control over your data, total control over these various aspects of running your business, uh, running your storage facility, and uh, they just got some amazing products. Again, these are storage owner operators that have created and developed these solutions. And uh, it, it's just an amazing platform. So check it out. Without further ado, guys, here's the episode. Looking to create wealth and income through high cash flowing real estate? Self storage is the fastest growing and the newest real estate asset that has outperformed all others. What's its secret? I'm AJ Osborne, and with over a million square feet that we have built, acquired, expanded, and even converted big box stores from small third tier markets to large hundred plus thousand square foot facilities, we have seen it all. This is the podcast that we're going to discuss and bring on the best investors and operators in the nation to show you how to create wealth and income with self storage. Welcome to Self Storage Income. Welcome to Self-Storage Income. 
And Connor, we've got a great podcast today. We got a pretty awesome guest. I'm excited. We excited do to bring on. Yeah, yeah, right, uh, right there with you, man. We've got Joe in the house today. Excited to bring him on and uh, learn a little bit more about uh, his background, how he got into storage, what he's seeing, what he's doing. I uh, heard him talking about he's got some construction projects going on. Looking forward to diving into some of that. I know development is a, a huge opportunity for a lot of people out there. Um, so, without further ado, man, Joe, thanks so much for jumping on. Yeah, I appreciate you guys. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, absolutely. So kind of give us uh, give us a little background on uh, how you got into commercial real estate or real estate in general and uh, what led you to storage and just kind of some background. Yeah, no, um, uh, you know, my, my background has always been in construction when I was a little kid. I, I grew up on construction sites. My dad was, uh, my parents were divorced when I was really young. So at nights and weekends, I was with my dad. I was like on a, on a project somewhere, you know, he was a drywall contractor, general contractor. And you know, so construction has always kind of like been in my bones. I've always enjoyed it. I always kind of thought I would grow up and take over his general contracting practice when I got older. But um, as as fate would have it, I got into the military first right out of high school. I, I was a U.S. Navy CB, which is the construction battalions of the Navy. A lot of people don't know what that is. Um, <clears throat> and I got to do, you know, pretty big commercial construction projects for the military all around the world for a couple of years. And were you doing like on like bases or? building everything from barracks to runways, things like that. You're spot on, dude. Yeah. It's actually one of the things that the, the, really the main mission for the CBs is, you know, when we go to a Ford operating base and we attack somebody, we take out their runway first. So we take out their air support. So one of the first missions of the CBs is called rapid runway repair, where we actually land in the Ford operating, you know, wherever, wherever we're at and fix the runway so that the U S air, you know, air team can come in and, and land. And then we build the Ford operating base or mostly the Marines, you know, boots on the ground guys. Yeah. That's rad. That is cool. That's cool, man. Now that, that that's a way to learn construction. <laughs> that's You know what I mean? If you're going to learn construction, do it in an awesome way. I think that's probably the coolest way you could learn construction. No kidding. Yeah. It's definitely trial by fire, man. They just, they just, you know, here's the materials. Here's the, here's the, uh, here's the, you know, tools, whatever it is. Here's your team, get it done, figure it out. Don't figure so, it out. <laughs> my way, in my, my opinion, it's, it's, it was my most fun way of doing things. Uh, was just get it done. You know, they have the can do attitude. Dude, that that's, you know, that's such a good way to go. I even think when you're applying this to entrepreneurship, everything else, I, I think the best entrepreneurs are the ones that it, it's not even about building, you know, like, it's not like, oh, I recognize a demand and I'm going to build a company and product to fill it. No, it's you go find the demand and you just give them and you build it for them as you're moving forward, right? Because you're getting immediate feedback on what needs to be done at that very moment. And you're giving that customer exactly what they want, as opposed to guessing what they, they need, right? And it's kind of like you getting dropped on a runway and then it's like, okay, let's see what actually needs to be done. Let's do that. Let's not even so much worry about like all this stuff. Let's make sure we have our tools. We're prepared, but let's figure it out while we're doing it. I love that. Yeah. Well, it's uh, another thing that sounds really appealing to that is uh, I'm sure there's not really much of an entitlement process or permitting process either. So it <laughs> <laughs> sounds like a really yeah. good, good setup. Definitely not. I don't know if half the stuff I built in the desert still standing, but hey, it did its purpose <laughs> while, while we were there. <laughs> You didn't ask a, a lot of government uh, questions when you're trying to build a runway so somebody could land on it. No building inspector, no. No, it's just uh, 
you are the uh, the judge, the jury, and the executioner when it comes to the construction process out there. <laughs> we need more of that. Yeah, no kidding. That would make our lives a lot easier around here. So uh, uh, that's awesome. So you came back in, and uh, did you get start working for a construction firm? Did you start your own? What'd you do? Yeah, I mean, initially, um, I worked for a company called Kellogg Brown and Root, which was a big Halliburton subsidiary. This is back, you know, when the war was going on. Obviously, they had a lot of government contracts. And so um, I worked at the Defense Intelligence Agency in D.C. doing this massive retrofit of all these top secret secure locations and stuff like that. And I'd probably still be doing it, honestly, except I met my wife and she's from New Jersey, uh, where I'm from. And she came down to live with me. And within six months, I always say her umbilical cord never got cut. So, you know, I would go every single night and weekend, we'd be not night and weekend, but every single weekend, we'd go back to Jersey yeah. three and a half hours, both ways. Finally, I was like, this is nuts. Why don't we just move back home? Um, yeah. And we did. And that kind of forced me to, to make a transition to get into real estate. And that's when we started flipping houses. That's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, how long did you flip houses for? What were you too long for about 12 years? And, 12 years. Uh, wow. yeah, we did, we were up to almost a hundred houses a year. Uh, you know, when we finally wow. like, dude, we got to, we got to find a way to scale business. And, you know, I always tell people, um, it was so transactional, you know, it was like, you always yes. were making money, but you never had money. And yes. I was like, man, why is it that like, I can sell a house, I could have a couple hundred grand in the bank on Friday. And by Tuesday afternoon, my bookkeepers got me down to $0. Cause it was just this, this like, yeah washing machine. Um, and so that's when we kind of made the decision, like, look, like with me and my business partner now, who was then my COO at the time was like, we got to make a change, man. We got to find something that's more scalable. We got to find something that we can manage with less to people. We had, we had, a, I had a team of 50 employees, um, didn't have the greatest culture in the world just because we were just like running and gunning. It was just yeah. it was very exciting. And so, uh, that's how we, we made this transition and we decided to start looking for bigger commercial assets. And that's how we fell into self-storage. No, I, I love that. And I love the word that you use transactional. Um, you know, I, uh, same thing, except different industry. I went into self-storage because I couldn't scale my business because it was transactional. It was sales. I'm like, and I coined it the treadmill. I'm like, you know, me and my dad were partners. I'm like, dad, we're running on a treadmill here. And I'm like, I don't know how you end, like, meaning I don't know how you retire because you're getting paid from clients. They're not going to pay you when you retire. So all of a sudden it's like, where is this going? And how do we, how do we compound this? And, you know, reading as much as I could from like Warren Buffett stuff, I'm like, I need a known rate of return that I can go and just replicate over and over and over again. Um, and that's when, you know, we really went into storage hard because we felt like, you just mentioned that that vehicle offered that in a way that I never found, especially in real estate, because I actually didn't like real estate. The returns, I'm like, I don't get this, right? But storage was like this mix between business or that transactional nature, like we can affect revenue because I'm sure like you flipping houses, you flip more houses, you make more money. That's a really cool thing, just like I added sales, uh, but you're always just repeating. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're hitting the nail on the head. And, and, you know, for me, it was also like, how do I build legacy wealth? Like it's cash in, yes. cash out. And, you know, we yep. retained a hundred and some single family houses and then we sold a bunch of them off. But even at that rate, it was like, man, how many can I possibly keep per year to make this thing work before I'm starting yep. to actually make real passive income, uh, real cash flow instead of just cash in, cash out. So yeah, that's, that's how, kind of how we stumbled into storage. That's awesome. Now, um, give me a snapshot real quick uh, where you're at today. Yeah, so we're uh, nine. We're primarily we're primarily developers. I, I consider us 
sure yeah. developers, whether it's value add or whether it's a big box conversion or ground up construction, like, like behind me here. Um, so we're nine deals in construction in some phase, you know, from almost being done to breaking ground this week, literally. Um, we just broke ground on a deal in Texas this week. And uh, we have JVs with about six partners right now. And, you know, the goal is really to, you know, uh, create, you know, when I started out, the goal was to keep every single deal. But as you guys know, like the market's insane right now. So, you know, we're getting bids to buy these things at CO and it's like, well, it's hard to, kind of hard to pass that up. So I think we're going to end up yeah. selling probably 20, 30% of our assets as we build, keeping 70, 80. Um, that'll kind of be the, the next couple of years for us. Yeah. Hey man, I'm, I'm right there with you. I'm a long-term hold. I've never sold any of my large assets. And right now I'm selling two. It, it like, it doesn't make sense. I'm refining it at 16 million and somebody's like, I'll pay you 35. I'm like, yeah, well yeah, it's, then it's, take it. It's it, you, you honestly, I mean, we do syndication. So obviously I have to look out for my best interest, but along yeah. with, with my investor's best interest. And when you get offers that are over pro forma before you even do a ramp up, it's like, you can't say no to that. It's, you, no, know, you can't say no. So, you know, like I said, our goal at the beginning was to build everything, never sell anything, kind of like what you're talking about. I, you know, 2 billion under asset management in, in 10 years was the goal, you know? Um, yeah. And then, you know, it started to become really, really frothy and competitive. So now we're having more and more discussions and that's what's actually leading us into a lot of JVs. You know, we're creating uh, shovel ready opportunities for guys to buy development deals. And then, you know, they may need some help with financing or they might need help with private equity or they might need help with the construction or the design. So, yeah. you know, we'll take a piece of that equity just to help them along the way to get the construction done. Yeah. You know, it's, it, it, yeah, it is. And it's interesting. You mentioned that, you know, you, you're kind of pivoting and, and reevaluating things. Cause you know, we're doing the same. The market's yeah. weird. It's crazy. And um, we would have never sold. Now we're like, we actually think we need to sell a few. We're refinancing some. We're like, it's, you know, um, you know, anybody that follows my content knows uh, how vocal I've been over the last little while, what we're seeing in the markets. Uh, Cause you're right. It's frothy. And it's, yeah. it's, um, you know, it, 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 we're at a point where I go, I, I don't think that that deal that we had, that somebody's going to pay me 35 million. I'm like, they're not going to pay me that in three years. Like, I, I don't see a future in where that is going to be. First of all, I wouldn't pay more than 15 million and they're going to pay me 35. I, so, no one can quite understand why they're paying what they're paying, but it's, I mean, I know they get, they have cheap money, but at yeah. the end of the day, they're just trying to stack up, you know, um, net, net rentable square footage. And they're, they're yes. I feel like they're jeopardizing things to get it done. But who am I to argue? Like you said, but I'm no, I'm right on. That's what we're seeing. We're seeing funds. We're seeing a lot of new people that have a lot of access to capital. They're doing, uh, they're, they're justifying the end. They're, they're justifying today by the end, meaning we can sell it. And so that justifies any price that we're buying at. We'll put them all together and somebody's going to pay us insane amounts, right? And I think that worked at lower prices, but now as they get to the top, I'm like, to me, it looks like you're compounding a problem, right? Not offsetting it. It's you're taking on too much. Mm -hmm. So we see a lot of that. And that's, it makes you change. And I, I think what you're doing and how you're restructuring and JVs, I, I, what you're doing, I hear all large storage operators. So a lot of these guys that have huge portfolios and have been in the game for a long time, they're all talking like you're talking right now, like we're talking, we're doing things differently. And um, we're, we're doing things that we didn't think that we would do literally three years ago, right? Two years ago. And we're starting to act different because we have to move where the market moves. So with that saying, where are you finding, where do you see the opportunity? Like, where are you directing your company now when you're looking at these developments? What, what are you looking for? What are you watching out for? 
That's a great question. What am I watching out for? I mean, we're, we're trying to find that we're trying to cherry pick the best MSAs. Obviously, I think we're doing like a lot of people are doing right. We're trying to find the best deals in the best areas. You know, I'm staying, I'm obviously avoiding anything that's, you know, we really, you know, we have a couple of deals in the Northeast. We're really like Southeast and Texas and Florida and Tennessee. And, you know, these heavy MSAs that people are moving into, I think is, is something that's super important and we all should be looking there. Um, so we have, we have a big attention there, but you know, we're, we're, we're very much a, a blue ocean strategy type of business. You know, I, I really don't pay attention to a lot, what other people are doing. I'm trying to create my own, you know, atmosphere. And, you know, for us, I think what really makes us stand out is our unique ability to find off market deals, to get them entitled, to get them prepped, yeah. to, to turn them into self-storage deals. And, and that came from 12 years of buying single family direct from sellers. You know, I, yeah. we have, a, we're basically a marketing agency that, that finds, you know, um, off market deals and makes something of them. I mean, welcome to our world. That's how we view it. We have a strategy. We have an edge. And that edge allows us to play wise in a market where we're not accepting what is standard on the marketplace. It's not like I'm. we don't accept because a price is that. That's, that's not how we do it. So that allows us to find deals and stay competitive in crazy times. Um, so we're the same way. And I think everybody needs to say, what is my edge? Meaning, am I just taking whatever the market is giving and even though I think it's crazy stuff, I want to be in it. So I'm buying it. Like that's not an approach we take. Uh, you don't take that. Right. And I don't think that's a wise approach. What is the edge? What, what are you doing? How are you getting in there that you're ensuring your own success and not leaving it up to the market? Yeah. I think, first of all, I mean, I, I get what you're getting at. I think it's, it's about making sure that you, you, like you said, the edge, what's your unique ability? What are you capable of doing? I can control what I can control on the off-market deal stuff, right? Yeah. I know I can control land costs. I know I can negotiate land costs. I know what my build costs are. I know, obviously, what I think the performance is going to be on this in the project when we're done. So, you know, I think the thing is being really, you know, focused and laser focused on what you're good at. Like, we don't look at, yes. I, I, we don't look at any existing deals hardly at all right now. We're, we're, yeah. we're, we're developers. It's what we do, you know? So yeah. I think for, for us, it's really, like I said, getting those off-market deals, but also controlling them through the process, making sure we do the right due diligence, getting the right project, you know, pot, uh, uh, project together with demographics and feasibility, like making sure it's a, it's a, it's a home run um, and, yeah. and, and allowing ourselves to, walk away if it's not. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Love that. That's awesome. With, with developments being the nature that they are and being such a long process, how do you guys manage that process? You know, how do you manage those costs over time? How do you underwrite that? Uh, what are some of the things people miss? Just kind of, if you could get, give kind of an insight into that process for some of the listeners out there and what you guys, how that process looks for you guys. Yeah, I mean, obviously, we bake in all those numbers. And, and then some we put as big of contingencies as we can in there, because shit's going to happen, guys. I mean, you know, like, mm -hmm. you know, pro material projects and material changes, labor changes. I think one of the ways that we're able to really um, regulate that type of thing is using nationwide contractors, you know, our steel guys doing the same thing in Texas, he's doing in Ohio, he's doing in New Jersey, he's doing in Florida. So, you know, we're able to negotiate, you know, good contracts, because there's so many different projects going on at the same time. And if we use the same subs to do that, obviously we get you know, a little bit better rates. Um, so I, I think that's number one. Number two is you really have to know your numbers. You know, I, I got into this thing four years ago. I never built a self-storage facility. What did I do? I immediately hired a chief development officer that has built 350 storage facilities, right? Like we got to go and we got to rely on people that have more knowledge than us. Like I'm, I'm not egotistical enough to think that I'm better than somebody at building a self-storage if I've never built one. So I'm going to build the best team that I can possibly put together to make sure that we're insulated against market change and downturns and material costs and all this type of thing. So, you know, I think yeah. it's really, really relying on the people that are around you to make sure that you have the best people in the right place. 
Couldn't have said it better myself. That's one of the big things that uh, big takeaways that I find uh, when you frequently look at anybody that's reached any level of success in any industry. And it was really about them surrounding themselves with those experts in those specific niches and uh, executing on that effectively. It's uh, uh, it, absolutely key. Couldn't agree more. I mean, yeah, you know, you look at it and you're taking the thing that you know and do good, realizing, well, okay, but that's not enough. Maybe that is a little edge, but that's that one thing that I'm good at. And then you're offsetting with the best around it, right? It's, you know, for us, we're really good at understanding self-storage. Underwriting, like, we just, we've been in the game so long. We have so much data. We, we so can peg values, right? Now, there's a lot of other parts, though, that we're going out and, you know, Connor on the development side, it's, okay, we don't understand. We get, How do we capitalize on this one thing that we know? Well, there's all these other things and people that we have to bring in to capitalize off that edge. So it's not just enough of having an edge, like you said, it's about having an edge and then surrounding yourself with expertise to be able to capitalize on it. No matter how big or small that edge is, it's still going to, you're still going to need that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the things you kind of touched on that I think is is great too is is you kind of mentioned this core strength of your business where you're you're looking at yourself as like a marketing agency versus like a development company. Uh, like your your activity doesn't dictate what your core strength is, I guess. And that's such a good observation to make because I think people kind of get that wrong sometimes. Yeah. yeah. Listen, I think at the end of the day, all of our jobs are to buy the best deals. And, you know, my yeah. team underwrites, I'm sure your team does too, hundreds and hundreds of deals a month looking through a deal, whether, whether or not you're just doing a once over and saying, this is garbage, throw it out or yeah. taking it all the way to the end. Right. But, you know, our, you know, again, we're trying to find the best deals. And so the opportunity we can create is both for the developers we JV with on the shovel ready side, or, you know, whether we take it down ourselves, I want to make sure that deal works a hundred percent, whether I'm bringing it in my own investors and doing the deal, or I'm selling it to somebody like you and you're doing the deal. The deal should be the same, no matter what, it should be an A plus deal. It should be a home run. It should be, you know, absolute winner all around, or there's no reason for us to do it. We have five other deals we can do that are going to be better Then let's get rid of that one. Let's do the ones that are good. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Quality right now is the name of the game at this point in the market it's quality over quantity i mean i don't know how many developments we just like walked away from or you know after two years ago so many markets that we were interested in we like nope we're not gonna go there and we really had to over the last two years identify this for us is really important because for us you know, like we're not the develop, we're not a developer like you. So for us, we have all these other risks that don't work, right? So you're going to find opportunities and developments that are going to work amazing for you that we wouldn't do because we couldn't quantify and the quality of that opportunity is different. And a lot of people don't understand that. Like a lot of people are confused on, well, well, if he did it, I can do it. And it's like, that's not necessarily true. Like, what is your edge? What is your expertise? And what is your skill? And then how do you execute on that? So for us, a development, right, that we we focus on has everything to do with quality of market. We have our big margins that we have to put in simply due to what we don't know. All these things that you know about, like, like timing and cost and labor and how that's all going to work and stuff, we don't know that intimately. So we know the process, we know what needs to be done. And if we focus on 
what we're good at and put in that margin, then we can find help and manage that and execute on it. But those are opportunities that you may go, that's not an opportunity for me. And you're doing something totally different. Exactly. And I think that takes a lot of wherewithal, right? For, for you to be honest enough with yourself to say, this is not my strong suit. I don't want to do this. Like, like I shouldn't be here. This isn't the right yeah. thing. You know, I, I think there's a lot of maturity that comes along with knowing what you're really good at. You know, my unique ability is team building. That's what I do. I mean, construction is my thing. I've been doing it for my yeah. whole life, but really it's about putting the right people in the right seats and then trusting them to, to do what we hired them for. And yeah. you know, the thing I love about self-storage, I'm sure you know, you guys can agree with is, is it's, there's, there's enough to, to give a, you know, um, we're trying to build legacy wealth. I want all of the people on my team to have equity. I want all of them to have some sort yeah. of profit share. I want all, I couldn't do that with a single family rule. You know, you're flipping yeah. a house to try to make 30 grand and you have 45 employees. You're not giving them a bonus every time a house sells. Right. Yeah. You know, but, but when you're doing a $25 million facility and, and you got 10 of them in the pipeline, now all of a sudden you can create real opportunity for people. And to me, that's one of my favorite parts of the game. Oh, hundred um, percent. We talk about that all the time in here and we you know the whole the whole reason we started up even our private equity side it was solely based upon that like we could keep doing it all by ourselves keep all the money keep all the equity everything else but it's like no let's take what we're doing good and let's allow everyone to participate in that like our wealth vehicle and our financial freedom vehicle can be others it can be we as a team are creating something internally that's great for everyone in a sales job that doesn't work. Yeah. Right. We're doing what we were doing in that commission side. You can't do that. You can't, it doesn't work. It is directly associated with what I do. I have to get in and I have to cut what I can. That is just bare necessity. And it's based upon today because it might be gone tomorrow in self storage. Like, I mean, even the podcast and information that we do, we give everything out for free. We, there's no catch. There's no hook. Because we believe that this is an industry which we can do it and everyone's success is predicated also on ours. If you, we're in a market and all our competitors are not doing good, it doesn't mean we are. <laughs> like, you know, we want everyone to do good and we want the market to get better and thrive. And I think you're exactly right. It, that is very unique in self-storage. And I love the people in self-storage and I love our industry because of that. Like my competitors I just call up and talk to them. There are friends that are right next door. It's, it's insane. I, I, it's, that was probably the biggest life changing, like industry perspective thing that happened when we got into this thing. I, I was having a conversation with one of my friends now mentor. This is when we first made the decision and he had a very similar background. He had built homes in the Hamptons. He built restaurants in Manhattan. He built track homes all over the Carolinas. And he said to me, Joe, two things. He goes, number one, the first time you build a self-storage facility, you'll never touch another house again. You'll be paying people to build your own house. And it's, it's true, right? Because yeah. it's steel, concrete, and asphalt. I mean, it doesn't get any more simple than this. You don't have to pick countertops and tile and colors and trim and yep. whatever. And, and the second thing he says is you're going to be dumbfounded by how open the industry is, how small it is, but how willing everybody is to help. And it's, it's amazing to me. Like, you know, we, we literally call up, if I have a site that we're going to plan on selling to, to a developer, we'll call the local competitors and say, Hey, we're building a site here. Would you want it? And nine times out of 10, they get involved, you know, because they would rather own the, the competition yeah. 10 miles down the road than be the competition. So it's just, it's, it's yeah. amazing to me how open and, and willing people are to just do deals, you know, and, and it's great. It is. It's it, 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 from where I came from cutthroat more sales and everything. It's so nice to just be able to, let's all work together. Let's talk, let's share information. What do you see going on? What's, you know, happening? And nobody's like, 
if I share my secret, then somehow that's going to hurt me. And the people that do, people in the self-storage industry look like, okay, you're either either not from here or it just, it's a such a turnoff. It's such a put off. It's like, okay, what, that's so rare in this industry that it stands out. And it's, you know, like, like why? There's so much, there's so much to go around, but it's also interesting because like you said, it's so small. Like everybody knows everybody in this industry. Like it's just you, you talk to two, three people and you can, you could hear about pretty much everyone. I know that I could call three people if I had a question, whether it was you, somebody else, and one of those three people will know that person. And uh, that's, uh, it's, I love industries like that. Like, just because of the fact that you can't, not that you can't hide, but we really get down to what's going on and who's who, and we can build those relationships to create future opportunity. And everybody's not playing their cards to their chest. It's, it's, it's a relief. It's cool. I like it. Yeah. Now, yeah. when you did, so you've doing nine developments? Nine. Uh, what stages are they in? Um, so we have three of them, four or five. Let's see. We broke ground this month, this last month on, on two. Um, the other one's happening next month. Um, two of them are almost complete. The one behind me is actually just about complete. It's pre-sold um, to, to an end buyer. So um, yeah, they're, they're all in some form of movement. They're all in some form yeah. of stage. I think, I think we have two deals that are um, still waiting um, permit packages to come in to break ground. But I think by July, we're going to have all nine moving. So far, have you seen interest rates affect the buyers of the assets? You know, that's so weird. I haven't yet. But then again, it's not like I have, you know, a ton of experience with the buyers buying our deals because they're not complete yet. You know, um, the yeah. buyers that are buying and we're JVing with uh, have not seen, you know, seemed to to slow down um, at this point. I mean, we were on a phone the other day with a guy who claims he's picked up 60 assets in the last 12 months and they're just buying as many as they possibly can. Um, yeah. and it makes you scratch your head sometimes to go like, what's, you know, what's the end game? I get it. They, they want to put as many roofs under management as possible, but, um, no, I haven't seen any slowdown on that side. Like I said, the, the shovel ready side, you know, people, we can't get the, we call them power packages, like our due diligence package. We can't get the power package finished fast enough to get it over to somebody to review, um, before there's make, they're making offers on it. Hmm. Yeah. No, that's amazing. So one of the questions that we've received before is, is like when you're developing out a, a project, self-storage building, I mean, how do you decide what to build? What kind of units, what kind of layouts, all that kind of stuff? It's one of the questions we've yeah. got. We've got our own processes. I was kind of curious what, what that looks like for yeah. you guys. You know, I think we rely heavily on the feasibility study because we really trust our guys. They've been in the business for 40 plus years. Um, so a big piece of it is the competitive analysis. You know, what's missing? You go to the, all the competitors and they don't have enough five by five climate control. Well, then I'm going to do more of that. You know, um, I think a lot of the unit mix is dictated by those guys. And then, of course, the, the rest of it is dictated by the value engineering of the building itself. You know, how, how, can, how can we make it as efficient as, as humanly possible? So if I end up with too many five by tens or whatever it is, well, you know, at least I'm using that as rentable square footage and I don't have a hallway there where it doesn't belong. Um, so I think there's a combination there between, between the design team and, and the actual, you know, underwriting team to figure out what's, what's the competitive edge there on the uh, unit mix. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. No, that totally makes sense. Uh, next question I had was uh, you, we've talked a little bit about putting together a team. If I, if I had a piece of land right now and I wanted to develop a storage facility, what pieces of, of the team would I need exactly to go and start making things happen? Who would I need? 
need all of them, right? I mean, you know, if you got a piece of land, as long as you already have it and you own it and it's entitled, we're, we're assuming it's a storage, you know, piece of ground that's ready to go or approved. Um, you know, I mean, if not, of course, you need the entitlement team. You need the, you know, design engineers and attorneys to get us to the municipality to get the thing approved. Um, a lot of times you need a planner to spell out the story and try to sell the deal to the, to the township, right? But assuming you have an approved deal, um, then, then you got to start getting all your contractors in the line. And, and it really depends. I mean, we have some sites that we GC personally. We have some sites that we GC with, you know, third-party GCs, depending upon the location of the sites. Like, um, you know, we have three in, in Houston, Texas right now. So the same GC is doing all three. So, you know, that takes a lot of the, you know, the, 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 I guess the onus of the management side of the, you know, the construction off of our plate. If we have a GC that knows what they're doing and they've built self-storage before, um, but yeah, you need everybody, right? You need all your subs. You've got to decide who's going to run the project. You've got to decide if you need boots on the ground site managers, if you're going to have, you know, um, people checking in regionally, you know, there's, there's a lot of pieces that go into it. If it's your first project, would you say get a GC that has experience and then like, how, how should I be thinking about that? So I don't know, brother. That's so that's, tough. Cause it's tough. Background. Yeah. We're, that, I mean, I'm really confident in our ability to build stuff. You yes. know, I think if it's your first project and you haven't been doing you know big commercial deals for a long time, then yeah, I think, I think it's probably smart to get a GC that knows what they're doing. I would um, agree. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, you know, but for us, I, you know, crazy enough, we did our first project by ourselves because yeah. I wanted to learn every bit and piece of what goes into this thing before okay. we started GCing to other. It's hard to manage a GC if I haven't built my own project. You know, I, yes. I don't know what they're looking for. I don't know what the, you know, the OAC meetings look like. I don't know, you know, what the communication, you know, looks like between the teams. So, you know, us doing our first GC project from scratch, I think was really one of the most beneficial learning curves that we could have gotten. I kind of like you. Like trial by fire, so I can learn. Like I, 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 I don't yeah. mind. I don't mind time. I don't mind a little risk for education. Uh, I'll take that on. I look at it this way. Look, it's over. It's it 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 feels overwhelming when you're stepping foot on a hundred thousand square foot net rentable space that you're building from scratch. When you know five years ago I was putting additions on houses, right? So I mean, yeah. you know, but. To me, I always thought, I always think to myself, like someone else has done this before, so I can't yeah. wait. You know, it's, it's happened. We're not the first people to build a self-storage in the world. Yeah. So it's definitely, it's definitely possible. And, you know, then you prove yourself right. Yeah, no, hundred percent. I, along those lines, I always tell people, I'm like, okay, identify the worst outcome. What would cause that? Right. And then work your way back. Right. So it's like, what, what is the worst that could happen? Well, we have a bad build job and the buildings don't work right or thing. Like, okay. Well then who are you contracting out with to do that building? What warranties do you have in place? What experience have, do they have? What projects can you walk that they've done and talk to the people that have done it? So you're going to walk back that fear or that risk, right? Right there. Well, I don't know. I don't know what the market is and I, I don't know if it's right or not. Okay. Well then who has been doing feasibility studies for 20 years that knows this industry inside and out, hire them and they will make sure you're on the right back. Like it's about identifying those things, right. And putting in, like you said, it's that team. Like you don't need to know any of it. Right. But you do need to listen to people that know it and say, you either need to stop. This is probably not good. And too, like, I, I, I also like to think that the people that don't, they're, they're really knowing stuff. They're not going to be very forceful. So it's like, if they're telling you, you, know, eh, you might want to think about this and you don't know, you should really look into that. Now, if they're like, this is an awesome project, 
right? This is great. I would do this. It's like move forward in confidence, but you just rely on other people's knowledge, expertise, and experience uh, when you're get, getting started. And then from there you learn, right? Mm-hmm. And like you learn then on those first deals. I always, I always say like, it's, it's ask better questions, right? Like, I mean, if you don't know yes. the answer, ask the question. So like I ask, yes. I ask everybody what's working, what's not working. And what would you do differently if you were me? Yeah. You know, and if the answer is nothing, we're doing great. Well, then cool. What do I have to worry about? Right. You guys are obviously on track and you're doing the right things, but you got to dig deeper. You know, you got to, you got to yeah. make sure that, you know, Hey, are we on budget? Are we on track? You know, what's looking like the change orders looking like, you know? And so, you know, in development, like go back to those major risk factors that you're talking about, right? Number one is soil conditions. You know, you got to make sure you're building on something stable. There's certain places where, you know, you can't put a three-story building like the one behind me on, on unstable soil. Sometimes you got to, you got to stabilize the soil. What else could happen? Well, you could have major, like, um, uh, weather occurrences, hurricanes, tornadoes, are you in that type of area? The, the, probably the most dangerous thing that could happen on one of these sites is a collapse, you know? And yeah. so what is the experience of your concrete crew? What's the experience of your steel crew? And, you know, I think as long as you check those major components that these guys, it's not their first project, well, then, yeah. you know, you're really covering as many bases as you humanly can. Well, and, and you know, what you just mentioned is, I think, a really important for anybody listening to this. It doesn't matter if it's your first time or not. Noticed we didn't. And you didn't say once so far in this entire podcast, oh, it's price. If I can get a cheaper price, I'll take it, right? Yet, and people, I'm like, oh, yeah, of course. I can't tell you how many builders of storage facilities I see, and that is their guiding factor. We have one where in one of our markets where they just went on price, the steel wouldn't work, and the guys that put it in, the slabs were at the exact same level as the asphalt, uh, as the asphalt, there was no lips. Every single unit got water in it. That I can't change that. They want to sell it. I'm like, what am I supposed to do? I can't lift the slab up. Like I get, you built the thing wrong. So you saved how much to then lose millions? Like mm-hmm. well, what you're saying that. is, oh, go ahead. Sorry, I was just going to say what you're saying is kind of insane to me too, AJ. Cause it's like, you're, you're working off of a $12 million budget. You know yes. what I mean? Like it's, this isn't like yes. we're flipping a house and you got no. 50 grand to get in and out. And if you spend 60, you're going to lose money. Like, like this is a $12 million. You have enough. You should be padding yes. your budget with enough money to hire real professionals. Like if you're worried 100%. about you know, a $900,000 bid and taking the guy for 850 who has no experience, then, then you got something wrong. Like, like yeah. you got to pay attention to hiring quality contractors. And again, I think that's what gets into with us, you know, doing it nationwide is a lot of our guys are the same guys. You know, I know yeah. they're going to take care of us because they're, they're in Ohio, they're in Pennsylvania. So to me, it's like, yes, I, to, to, I mean, to put it down on, on, on the point is absolutely the cost is not the number one, the quality and, you know, their ability, you know, let's say you hire somebody and they can't show up, you know, yeah. my, my steel guy shows up and he has two crews working seven days a week. Yeah. You know, and, and yeah, maybe he's more expensive, but guess what? I trust him and I know it's going to yep. get done and I know the building's not going to collapse. So for me, that peace of mind is worth a heck of a lot more than maybe a hundred grand that I could have paid someone else or took back. Yeah. hundred percent. And, uh, and not only that, like, I like to think of people, if you're doing, so if you're building a project and you're choosing somebody because that $23 a square foot is 22. So you hire them over and that's the d- difference of this deal working or not you shouldn't be building there anyways. So if you need to cut 10% for this to work, you should not be building that. That's like, you've, you've done some things majorly wrong. 
um, it's it shouldn't be that close. Um, you should be confident in hiring the best to get it done. I don't mean overpaying. That's not what I'm saying, right? But hiring experienced people that have resumes, that have connections, that can execute at capacity. It's not one guy who's going to find somebody, right? And if you can't make the deal work, uh, unless it's that uh, circumstance of that thin budget, you shouldn't even be doing the project. So true. So true. So, sorry, we cut you off. No, no, you're good. No, I was talking. It was it's interesting because I was talking to a uh, uh, GC <clears throat> just recently, and they were saying that's an actually really common occurrence if you get a uh, a civil engineering team that doesn't understand storage, never done it before. That's where you end up having that issue of the slab being level with the degraded uh, the asphalt there. So it's actually kind of a common thing. So. One. Frankly. It's like, again, it's like, dude, you got to find yeah. a civil engineer that actually knows what they're doing or the GC that can tell the civil engineer, hey, make sure you're doing this right. Yeah. Or I, I, mean, I honestly think you're I think the site I think the site um, a civil engineer is the site work guy, civil engineer. Same thing. You know, these are the that's the most important person of the entire project. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. where water drains is probably one of the more important things. But you're yes. talking like, you know, our guys on the site behind me, they, they had to do 700 feet of storm sewer. They had to do 900 feet of, of new water line going down the street. You know, like that stuff all has to line up. You know, if yes. you get to a point where it's there's not enough pitch in your pipe or you know, like you're talking major, like you said, you're not going to lift this building to let it drain better. Like that mm-hmm. thing's there, you know, that's so. Fair. I, I think that uh, that's one of the number one um, subs that you got to pay attention to besides the GC. Such well, a good point. That stuff's not cheap. It's not either, cheap too. You know? So people don't like it. They're like, it's no. moving dirt. Like I'm not going to pay $900,000 to move a bunch of dirt around. And so they go super cheap. And you're like, that is literally the foundation, the basis of everything even functioning and working that you can't change once it's built. And it's it seems, yeah, it's a guy on a tractor. That's how they view it moving around dirt you're like well they're it's surgeons. not quite that they're, they're surgeons on backhoes that's what that's what they are they're surgeons and on backhoes the way they understand the groundwork too like our first one that we built you know it's so funny that you mentioned you guys are talking about this because the first one we built we're it, it, it got built um it opened for i don't even know how long not like i mean a few months or something like that the door our, our the front of our building is all like glass. It's two story, oh, super high end, super nice. We have this big piece that comes out the side. That's a storage down it. It's all rock and it's all like gorgeous. Right. And two months we go to open the door and the door was kind of being weird. Right. And we're like, Hmm. Oh, well. And, um, all of a sudden the doors start having problems and that rock facing out that the sign, we look up and it's separating from the building that front corner with the glass, the main entranceway and everything, they hadn't compacted the dirt enough. It was sinking. Brand new. And too, by the way, this is a major developer. This isn't, we didn't go cheap. This was a high-end facility. The one sub either forgot or didn't compact that corner on the entire building. And the weight of the big glass and everything on it started to sink and it started to tear off the rest of the the building and foundation. All the windows started to bow. Doors wouldn't shut. And we're going, how did this happen? They're like, we didn't compact. The sub didn't compact the sand enough. And I'm like, who didn't check that? Like, (laughs) right? I mean, it, it seems like something so simple, but 
that was, they had to come in and they had to drill down and they, you know, obviously we were lucky because uh, the GC was a big GC. They paid for it and they took care of it. It was, a, it was a fight, but they, they had to pour, I think it was like cement underneath and they had to like lift and restabilize that. And we've not had any problems since, but just exactly what you guys are talking about. One little thing and the building starts to collapse. Mm-hmm. Imagine if that happened in the center of the building. Imagine yeah. if that happened. You know, the geotech is so important. And, it's a, and, and it's a two-story. Like, if it would have happened not on that corner in the center, that site would have been done. You, you couldn't have fixed it. Yeah. No, that's that's another great point is, is getting those good surveys, getting that geotech out there, making sure that everything is is what it is and people know exactly what the soil makeup is on that site getting those phase ones done and all that other stuff you need to get done phase twos if need be and uh really analyzing that property to make sure that that the contractors then actually do have the information they need to make those decisions whether it's reinforcing the ground putting in the helical piles whatever that is for support um super critical and and yet again you you need to hire those experts those people that are going to go out and do a good job and know what the heck they're doing and what they're looking at hundred percent. You know, it, all this conversation, you know, with you and you're, you're kind of thinking a lot around, it, it really spurs back to something I've just been thinking endlessly over the last two months. And I, and I've been talking about it and it's long-term thinking. And, you know, when you get to the top of cycles and so much money has been made in industries like self-storage has, and what has happened over the last 10 years and how many people have just made incredible amounts of money because you had cap rates go from 10 to five, which if you do the math on that, if you had a $5 million facility, you did nothing and you made 5 million bucks plus whatever you had in down and plus cash flow, doing nothing. Revenue didn't change, nothing. Uh, so many people made so much money and developers made so much money by putting it out of the ground and selling it. I think we've been in the last two years, we've seen a lot, like you're talking about, people just out buying deals at any price. We're seeing a lot of short-term thinking. And uh, that is, if you are just critical, like you're talking about, you're working with professionals, you pay a little more, right, to get the job done right correctly the first time, and you set it up for a long-term legacy wealth, like you talked about. That, That frame, for me, every time makes the difference between people that build empires and one hit wonders. And it's that whole mentality where I I don't need it that fast. I don't need that quick, right? I can, I can take my time and I'll sacrifice today. So I just love your mentality on that. It's very much in line with ours, right? I don't have to be the fastest, but we want to be the best. And that's really important to us. And we've got a long time, right? We got decades to make this thing incredible. So I don't need to go screw up on three deals while buying 15 to try to rush on the way there. So no, I love it, man. Well, uh, first of all, dude, this has been an incredible conversation. Thank you so much for your insight um, and being open with us. Where can people go to find out more about you and where they can learn about you, your company? Where should we send people? Yeah. I mean, our site is investwithlegacy.com. It's a legacy developers is the business and, you know, people can hop in there. They can see what we have going on as far as deal flow. Uh, we have a, a, a mastermind in there for, for uh, self-storage called the storage syndicate, which, you know, I, I think is going to be one of the best masterminds in the country for, for self-storage here soon. And a big, big weight on people like ourselves or like myself who transition from single or multifamily and want to get into the storage business. Um, it's really just an abundance mindset group of guys that want to do deals, guys and, you know, guys and gents and ladies that want to do deals and, and uh, you know, create together. So 
Awesome, dude. Good for you, man. Keep killing it. Um, you know, look forward. I I know you're you're going to be in the game a long time, so I'm sure we're going to have you back on again. We'll see you more around in industries. Thanks for everything you're doing out there. Keep uh keep spreading the good word, man. Appreciate it, and we'll look forward to seeing you soon. Appreciate you guys. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks.